Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here is one of our leaders, Sam Kayhart. Well, we're going to continue our series on core values this morning. Uh, we've been doing the series for about a month now. Um, I'll give you a recap quick. Uh, but what are, what are core values? What are core values? Core values are something internally inside of you that form who you are, that give you a transformation of what you believe and where you're coming from. I think of an apple when I think of core values because apples have cores. And when you look at an apple and you get to the core of an apple, what's inside of that core? Yeah, there's a seed. You guys are smart. You didn't even need me up here. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a seed. What does that seed hold? When you look at an apple, you don't take an apple and think, mmm, seed. Yummy. You take an apple and you think, oh, nutritious. I'm going to eat it. It tastes so good. It's got natural sugars in it. I can make cider out of it. I can make all these different things with this apple. This apple has uh, certain abilities and certain ways to do things, right, that, that feed us. We don't think about the seed quite often. When we get to the seed, we're like, meh, and then we throw it away. But that seed holds important, importance. It is the internalmost part of that apple. And that seed, when planted, is the true transformation of what the apple really is. It's a tree. One apple can feed one person. But when you plant the seed that's inside the core of the apple, the core of the apple, so our core values, those things that are inside of us that define who we are, that are our beliefs and our values, that drive us to do the things that we do, when that is planted and watered and fertilized, it grows and it feeds many, many people. Not just one time, but for years. Years. I mean, if that doesn't make you believe that there's a creator, I don't, I don't know what will. You know, that's, that's pretty awesome stuff. But that's what's inside of you. That's what's, that's what's core inside of you. You have beliefs. You have values. You have, you have things that, you, that drive you to do certain things, to create, to make, to work, to push forward, to go beyond what you see, beyond what you hear. Beyond what people are telling you you are. Because you have inside of you a belief that you are bigger and better than what people say. You are bigger and better than what you see, what you have. Because God has put that inside of you. Whether you believe in God this morning or not, that's inside of you. And sometimes it's really hard to take those core values and live them. And as we're talking about core values, not just about the person, but our main focus is the core values of refuge as a church through this series of what's at the core of refuge and why we do what we do. Why do we call ourselves a refuge for people, a place for people? It's pretty awesome that we have this place to come on a Sunday morning, even after a major storm, and have the ability to have electricity. We've got backup generators. Have the ability to have flowing water because of the electricity, right? How many of you didn't realize how dependent you were on electricity? Yeah, come on. Yeah. Hallelujah. Lights are cool. So, so far in this series, we've covered four different core values of the church. And they are, we are people who cannot be broken, a family that always forgives, peacemakers in a world at war, a body that when damaged will heal. 
And today we're going to cover a haven for those who are tired. Talk about a setup, right? Hallelujah. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just give you glory in this place. I give you honor in this place, Lord, that you have allowed us to come, that you've given us another opportunity to give you praise, that you've given us another opportunity to come before you, Father God, and Lord, to lay down our wants and our desires and die to ourselves, Lord, and give you the praise in this place, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, that we know that the things that we have and the things that we do do not come by what we have done or what we could do, Father Lord, but by everything that you have brought out of us, everything that you have put inside of us and created in the name of Jesus you have allowed in Jesus' name. And Lord, we declare you to come right now. We ask you to come and fill this place with your Holy Spirit, with your holy power. And Lord, move amongst the sanctuary, over the auditorium, beyond the walls. Let your ministering spirits come and stir our hearts and make us new. And Lord, pull out of us that which you have put inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips and my tongue this morning not with any other word than that which is yours. And Lord, that your word would go forth as a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, piercing between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit, Lord. Let your word have its way in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Hallelujah. God is good, is he not? Hallelujah. All right. You guys ready for some word? (laughs) Me too. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a haven? So we're a a core value is a haven for those that are tired. What does it mean to be a haven? What is a haven? A haven is nothing more than a safe place. It's, it's actually, ironically, also known as a refuge, a place that you find safety. When I think of haven, a haven is a place that we want to go, that, that we desire to go when we're in trouble, when we're, when we're brought down and, and, and we're worried and we're scared and we're fearful. A haven is quite often many things. It could be a harbor for ships. It could be the trees for birds. It could be a boat from a gigantic flood. It could be a cave for bats or maybe for one known as Elijah running from Jezebel. It could be many things. It could be your home. It could be your friends and your family. A place that you feel safe. A place that you can go so that you feel okay. So that you feel covered. Because it's interesting how we can sit in our house and a storm like yesterday's storm comes and the straight line winds and the force and the gale force winds are coming and pounding against that house. But as long as we're inside of something, whether it's your car or your house, for some reason you feel some kind of safety. You feel some kind of covering. You feel some kind of ability to be okay. But if you're out in that storm and you're getting pelted with the rain, all those thoughts that are going through your mind and overwhelming you with, I might get blown away, or this is really wet, and I want to be dry. And I don't know what's coming next. All we can see is the next raindrop. We don't know what the storm has. We're just getting into the starting and the beginning of that storm, and we're not sure where it's going to take us next. And so we're striving to get to our safe place. We're striving to find a haven. A ship strives for the harbor in the midst of huge storms in the sea. Because the storms can ruin the ship. And the reason that the harbor is a safe place is because it has a covering. It has a a roundabout covering of land that holds the waves off from the ships and will hold the ships in a safe place so their ships don't bang against the rocks or are pushed places they don't want to be. Our home is a covering for us. It covers us. It makes us in a safe place. It, It allows us to be 
at comfort. And if we're at comfort, we're okay. Sometimes people get in places where they've never been before, or maybe it's your first time here at church, and, and you're, you feel awkward and weird, and you're uncomfortable. But if you were at home, you would be so much more comfortable, even if all these people would show up. Maybe a little unprepared, but you'd be more comfortable because this is your house. We have these coverings, we have these havens that we've even made for ourselves and that, that we trust in. And sometimes they're a false sense of security. Even in a storm like yesterday, when a tree falls on the house and comes into your living room and you're like, stop. And you're scared and you're like, I thought this was a covering for me and now it's not working. Or even a place in the midst of a hurricane where houses are ripped up off of their foundation and thrown. Are we really safe anywhere? Here in this world, are we really safe? Do we really have a safe covering made out of man-made structures? I would probably argue with you that probably one of the safest places is deep inside of a cave, which is more so God-made than man-made. But we have a false sense of security in this world. For some of us, our havens are what we have. They're the things that we own. They're, they're, they're the amount of money that we have in the bank. And we don't ever have to worry because we're all like, oh, I got enough for that. Oh, I got enough for that. And we don't have to put any trust in faith, as Heidi was talking about, in, in, in a money sense, because we're not, we're not allowing ourselves to grow in faith because we're not giving to the point that we have to trust in God. And sometimes we find our, our security in what we have, and that way we can't allow the security of God to become a part of our life and to become a reality of who he is in us. Just letting and knowing that he will provide. To build your faith in such a way that you have to trust on God, is some, you might say is somewhat forceful. Yes, it's somewhat forceful. But if we continue to strive on our own initiative, it's only going to be ourselves that ever bring us out. And when we can't bring ourselves out, we ain't going to have no place to go. Havens are a place of safety. We as a church, as a refuge, even in the definition of a haven, is a place of safety. It's a place where, where people can come that are broken, that are going through issues. I'm not ignorant this morning. This storm isn't the only thing that you guys are going through. It's, it's just another thing putting on, put on top of the pile. The trees in the yard are probably the least of your worries in some cases. Some of you may be going through so much struggle and the storm comes along and you think, oh God, how am I going to deal with this now? I don't even have a husband that can, that can come home and cut up a tree. I don't have a, a wife to, to complain to or, or, or to ask for love, you know, uh, to, to rub my back when I'm done taking care of the trees outside or whatever it is. Sometimes my examples are horrible. <laughs> but we don't have these things or your car is broken down and in the shop. It didn't even have the opportunity to have a tree fall on it so you could claim insurance. You're like, God, if it was just outside right now, <laughs> if it had just been under that tree, then I could call you a deliverer. <laughs> but it's, a, it's just another thing to put on the pile. It's not the only thing we're going through. It's a temporary setback in a permanent situation. And that's what all your struggles are. And the reason I say it's a permanent situation is because God did not design us to only live here on this earth, but he designed us for eternity. And we have to remember that. We need to quit living 
for this world and start living for eternity. And when we start to live for eternity, we will start to put our trust and our faith in the only haven that can keep us safe, and that is Jesus Christ. And we will explore that today. But refuge is quite awesomely a Red Cross shelter. Um, I got a couple things here I kind of wanted to read off. It's an official Red Cross emergency shelter. Uh, Back in, I think it was 98, they had the opportunity or took the opportunity in the Y2K crisis. Anybody remember Y2K? All the computers are going to crash. We're all going to (laughs) die. Because 30 years before that, there weren't any computers coming. Come on. But they thought that they were going to lose all this stuff, and they thought that people were going to be put into a frantic, and they wouldn't have anywhere to go. And so here is a church. We became an official Red Cross emergency shelter to bring people in it in any type of emergency. It was, our, it was an opportunity for us to reach out to the community to tell them that, hey, we're here for you, that there is a place that you can come. And in that first year, they were actually called upon two times, and those two times... One of them was due to a bomb scare in Junction City, and I was like, what? But, you know, it is what it is. If we can be a refuge for even something like that. And another one was some overwhelming heat for the elderly, giving them a place of comfort and and sustainability during power outages um, in that time. So it's pretty close to what was actually going on here uh, yesterday. Um, But the Y2K emergency was... An opportunity. And an opportunity that wasn't wasted by this church. An opportunity that was taken up to where they put forth their best effort to become an emergency shelter so that they could reach out to a community that is going through broken times. They, they said, we can become a haven for people. It might only be a physical haven in this area in this time, but because we have the true haven, it's a way that we can reach out to them and touch them in their brokenness. And it's been an awesome experience. So the first place I'm going to go today is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. We're going to take a gander at these verses. If you've got your Bible with you, I encourage you. I love bringing my Bible. It gets me to know my Bible. Sometimes pastor goes through scriptures so fast, I'm like, whoo, I missed that one. I go to the next one. But it gets you to know, and I'm probably going to do the same, so just a warning. But it gets you to know your Bible, and you you understand where the Scriptures are, and you know what it says. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible today, to look at that. And if you don't, we have it up on the screen, so don't worry. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. He's calling you. And I dare to say he's calling you this morning. If you have not come to him, he's calling you this morning. He calls me every day when I wake up in the morning. He says, come to me. Come to me. He calls us. And in some senses, he commands us, come to me. And he's sitting right next to you today, yelling in your ear, come to me. And he wants you to come to him. 
And then the very next phrase, he gives us a promise. He says, I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Sometimes that's a very difficult thing to answer. When you say, God, how can I come to you when you're so far away? How can I come to you when I can't even get past the struggles or the bills that I have on my front table today? How can I come to you in the midst of such a dire situation? How can I come to you when I've been out sinning the last three nights? How can I come to you when I don't feel good about myself? How can I come to you in so many different places, in so many different areas? How can I come to you in the hurts of my past and the thoughts of my future? Because to me, they hold nothing. And you say, come to me? You say you'll give me rest? The last thing I know is rest. How do I get rest when I come to you? I don't even know you. And he says, come to me. He's telling you to come to him this morning. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. We talked a little bit about a haven, and what that is is a shelter and a covering. And I want to talk a little bit about this rest thing, right? How many of you here are tired this morning? Yeah? Anybody tired? Anybody weary? Maybe it's not a sleepy tired, but it's an overwhelming tiredness. It's a burden tiresomeness. It's a stressful tiresomeness. You're just tired. You're worn out. You can't, you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to get to tomorrow. I don't even know how I'm going to get to the next step. Maybe you're tired this morning. God has a rest for you like you have never felt before. Rest is a pretty crazy thing, right? All of us want it. All of us need it. It regenerates our body. It allows us to get back into, you know, that like 100% mode where we can do things. But almost none of us get enough of it. Now, there might be some of us that get too much of it too, but we're not going there today. I'm talking about sleep, just so you know. But anyway, (laughs) we need rest. Rest is something that we need. And rest is something that came before the foundations of the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he took six days to create all the things that you see here on this earth. And on the sixth day, he created man and woman. And all the animals of this earth. And then on the seventh day, after on the end of the sixth day, he said, it is very good. He gave himself a little praise. He said, ooh, you did good. <laughs> I always tell people, don't think God needs your praise. He can praise himself, but he likes your praise, so you better give it to him, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. But he said it was good. And then on the seventh day, it says that he rested. He rested. Rest comes at the completion of some work. God just spent six days working, diligently forming and speaking, trying to bring forth those things that weren't as though they were. And they came forth. Because at the spoken word of God, whoom, shows up. At his spoken word, you showed up. And God rested. Now this rest, we think so often this rest was just meant for a day. But this rest wasn't just for a day. This rest was supposed to be eternal. See, he created man and woman and he put them in the Garden of Eden to reside with him in rest. 
Because he had already done everything that he needed to do. He says, here's a lazy boy, Adam. Why don't you just name some animals for a while? Why do you think counting sheep makes you go to sleep? Come on, guys. I mean, that's good stuff. And you just, you're in the state of rest. And it's supposed to be eternal rest. But then the enemy came along and he caused man to sin. And at the moment man sinned, at the moment he ate of the apple of the tree that he was told not to eat of, God got up and he went to the garden. He got up out of his rest. He was resting. He was in completion. He had done everything he needed to do. He spoke everything he needed to speak. Do you know that everything he created, not one of them he had to create again. That's why everything has a reproductive uh, organ in it. Trees reproduce, seeds. You really think about it, everything. The waters, they go up into the sky and they come back down and they refiltrate. There's so many waters in the ground that are coming up from the earth, you don't even know where they're coming from. Everything. Not, not one thing did he have to create again. Not one thing. He, was, he had completed it. But at the moment we sinned, God got up and he said, Adam, where art thou? Because he couldn't see his reflection anymore. He said, where art thou? And he, had, he knew something had happened. And he spoke to Adam and he brought out of him the fact that he had sinned and he had eaten of the tree. And now something that God had hated was in something that God had loved. And God can't hate what he loves and love what he hates. So he had to do something about it. And God begins this journey. And he says, okay, i got to get back to work. And he begins a thousands of year journey in preparation to bring back to rest the very thing that he created for rest. The only reason we die is because we are not in an internal state of rest. But he brings us back to this state of rest. And in the midst of his preparation, in the midst of him showing up in fire, him burning, him flooding the earth because it was so carnal and so filled with sin and so overwhelmed with, with death and destruction, he floods the earth and he, he keeps alive one family because of the righteousness of one man. And he says, I'm going to continue to prepare that which I have done. And I'm going to make this work work. I'm going to prepare them. I'm going to show them who I am through all these things. And he even goes to the point where he exiles his people, his nation, because they were so sinful and walking away from who he was. He says, all right, I'll let you go the way you need to go. You're going right into slavery. I'm going to give you over to your sin. I'm going to let your sin be master over you. I'm going to show you who you really are. And then the people turned back to him because they were able to see the destruction in their lives. They were able to see that they had walked away from the God that brought them out of the Egypt, that brought them out of 430 years of slavery, that brought them out and through the Red Sea and brought them through the wilderness for 40 years, preparing them and striving after them as they continue to turn away from God. Take us back to Egypt. It would be better for us to be there than to die here in the wilderness. But God yet still walking in the power of who he was says, I have an eternal plan and if you would just wait on me for a second I will show you what I'm going to do and I will give you the promised land and the fruit of the ground will come forth for you and you will be allowed to walk in the power of my word and you will overcome armies and you will walk in the goodness and the truth of who I am. Just keep my word. Just keep my commandment. If you could just do the one thing you were supposed to do when I created you and put you in the garden. If you could just do that for me. And he gave us laws and he, he set up a tent and he dwelt among us. 
He couldn't be in us because we were sinful, but he dwelt among us. He gave us the ability to speak to him. He gave us the ability to talk through his servant Moses to allow us to be able to to know who he was. He spoke to his people from a cloud. He spoke to his people from fire. He spoke to Elijah from the whisper of a wind. There is no way that he cannot come. And he's coming to you today. He was preparing his people for the redemption of some rest. And while God was working, man had to work. He cursed the ground. He told the woman that you were going to labor in pain, that you're going to have to nurture your children, that you're going to have to build them up to become fathers and daughters, fathers and wives, sons and daughters. You're going to have to build them up so they can do the very same thing that you're doing. And the men worked the ground and thistles and weeds came forth. And they strived and they worked the ground and they had to build houses and they had to put forth effort. And it drove them almost to insanity sometimes. And they were in slavery and they were taken down and they had to put forth an effort. And so much of an effort to where they could even walk away from God. Some of us are working so hard today we don't even have time for God. I was one of those people. I was like, I got things to do. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. I wasn't even making time for God. I could, I could talk to God while I was working. That was my excuse. I can talk to you while I'm working. I just know that I need to put forth this effort because unless I put forth this effort, then I'm not going to see any fruit. But he says the fruit that you see on this earth is nothing. The fruit that you see from me is everything. It's eternity. Quit putting your eyes on the things that are temporary and start putting your eyes on the things that are eternal, the things of God, the things of, of heavens. And we put forth this work and we strive and we, we put forth all this effort to try and do the things that we need to do on this earth because we had cursed the, our own ground. We had taken ourselves out of the rest and now we had to put forth an effort. We had to put forth the work and put it in to get something out. And God is working and we're working. And there is no rest. I could talk about the Sabbath day, but I'm not going to do that today. But that the Sabbath day is nothing more than a one-day a week rest, because he, he created for six days, he rested on the seventh day, and we call that the sabbatical day of the week, a restful week to focus on God. It doesn't matter what day of the week your sabbatical day is, but take some time and rest in his trust. I can tell you right now, some, days I, some weeks I don't get a, a, rest, a full restful day, but we have to take time and rest in his word, and rest in his truth. He's called us to that. It's, it's healthy for us. He renews us in that. And then, God sends Jesus, his own son. And he says, I've prepared you. I have taken you through everything I can think of at the moment. And this is probably only one day for God, but thousands of years on this earth. And he says, I I think you're ready. And he sends forth the voice in the wilderness, which is John the Baptist, to prepare the people to repent and come to God. And then he sends forth his son. He sends forth his only son, his only holy son, the one that was there in the beginning. In John 1, it says, in the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Not, nothing without it was formed. It was all formed by the word. It was formed by him. The very thing that spoke us into existence comes down and meets with us here on this earth and takes on the likeness of our image and begins to understand what it is to work the ground, what it is to put forth an effort, what it is to be under stress, what it is to be under burdens, what it is to be in pain, what it is for other people to mock you and hurt you and accuse you and tell you that you're something that you're not. And he begins to understand what it is to be a man and even understand what it is to be God. 
And through the preparation of the years, Jesus comes and He spends time with His people. And at the midst of 30 years, He begins His ministry. And He begins to minister the things of God. He says, now I've experienced what you, who you are and where you're at, and now I'm going to tell you who God is. I'm going to start to show you who God is. And He does that. And he begins to minister and He does healings and miracles. And in one of these moments, it's one of these verses before He goes to the cross, and He says, come to Me. And I will give you rest. And Jesus goes and is accused for who he said he was. He was accused for saying he was God. That was blasphemy in that time. And then he was accused for other false accusations. And they took him and they they took him and beat him. They took a sinless man and beat him into everything sinful a man represents. Everything sinful you've ever done, they beat him into it. So that he would take on the form and the image of a sinful man. Even though he was sinless. And then they gave him a cross. And they told him to go up this hill. And he's not only trying to carry this cross. But he's carrying every burden. Every stressful thing. Everything you're going through. Every damage on your house. Every thought that you've ever had that has been hurting. Everything that somebody has said against you. He is carrying every sinful thing you've ever done. Every drink you drank. Every every swear word you said. Every thing that you've ever done that is wrong, past, present, and future. He carried it up that hill. And then they crucified him, and they killed him on that cross. And he died, and they buried him, and three days later, he rose again with a name that is above every other name and with a redemption of salvation, with rest in his name. And he said something very awesome on the midst of the cross before he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. It is finished. He was speaking four plus thousand years into the past and from the beginning where God had to get up out of his chair and begin working to prepare his people to bring them back to the rest that he so awesomely wanted us to have in the beginning. He spoke back and he said, it is finished from beginning to end. And now I'll go and sit down next to the Father in the rest that He had called for us. And in His name we declare the rest that He has for us. Even in our tiredness and our weariness, there is now rest. It is finished. It is finished. We are a haven for those that are tired, that are worn out. And that's just, that's, just the first, that's just the first portion. We're going to be here a few minutes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And the next verse, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. Now that you know, now we have an understanding what a haven is and what rest is and where it was, where it was designed for in the beginning and where we are now. He says to them, he says, take my yoke upon you. Because he came in substitution. He came and he went through everything that we did and he was, he was stricken as a sinful man on the cross and he substituted his yoke for ours. He took our yoke to the cross. And he says, take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? A yoke 
In, in, in those days, they used oxen to pull plows and machinery and all these things to, to move the ground and, and move wagons or whatever it was. And they would put a, a hoop around the neck of the oxen, and then they would tie them to what they called a yoke, which is a, a big stick, and then they would chain them to that, and they would pull. And if you had two oxen pulled up, and one was pulling, and the other one was pulling, and they pulled in unison together, the, the weight was easy, it was light, right? And, and it wasn't hard to do, but if one oxen was pulling and the other one was like, dude, I ain't doing nothing today. Where's my water? Then the one oxen is trying to pull not only all the weight inside of whatever he was carrying or the ground, trying to turn the ground over, but now he's pulling the dead weight of the oxen that's supposed to be pulling for him, or you're putting forth more effort than the person is next to you. And you're, you're caught in this place of trying to put all this effort into one area and your yoke is hard. And this is where we're at today. We're trying to do everything on our own initiative. We're trying to make things work on our initiative. And we're, we're struggling because our yoke is heavy and our burdens keep piling up. Even that storm that came, it was just thrown on the wagon. We just got more trees to do. We got more things to worry about now. And our wagon gets heavier and heavier and heavier and we're trying to pull it. And we begin to not move very far. And sometimes we're moving backwards. But Jesus says, he says, take my yoke upon you and give me yours. Give me yours. And when we take up his yoke, his yoke is purity. It's kindness. It's gentleness. It's humbleness. He said, he said learn from me. It's, it's, it's gentleness. It's humbleness. It's easy. It's burdenless. Your burdens might not go away, but when you have the peace of God in your life, when you have someone you can rest on, when you have a hope for the future, a hope for what God has for you, that he has designed you for something better and something greater, you may have to deal with a certain situation right now, but God is going to show you a way through that situation. He's going to give you a way through that. And when you take his yoke up and he's carrying your yoke, see, he can't screw your yoke up. You can. (laughs) You can screw your yoke up. But he can't screw your yoke up. And, and he says, take my yoke. And you, you just you hitch on his yoke. And he took yours to the cross. And took care of everything that you're dealing with now. Everything you're going to deal with in the future. And everything you dealt with in the past. And so you just have to lay it. You have to lay it on him. When he says, take my yoke, he's saying, unhook from the things that are dragging you down. Quit trying to do it yourself. And hook up to my yoke. So that I can pull you through. So that God will see you in my identity. So that God will see you in who I am and not who you are because you are sinful. I am sinful. He says, take my yoke and walk with freedom. Freedom. I don't have to worry about these things. God's got it under control. And if we just had an attitude of humbleness and surrender... We wouldn't keep trying to carry these things, these burdens, these hurts, these overwhelming pains of this life. But he allows us to walk in freedom and purity, and the load becomes light. Learn from me. Let me show you who I am. Come to me. Come to me. Hallelujah. We better start hitting the gas pedal here. The grace of God is shown through Jesus Christ, that he came and he died for us. And he took everything that you did wrong and took care of it on the cross. There's nothing left that you can do that he didn't pay for. There's nothing left. Now, that doesn't give us the right to continue in sin that grace may abound. Because if we continue in sin that grace may abound, we have not taken up his yoke. 
Because his, remember, his yoke is purity, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's loving. It's able to help others. It's not a yoke that strives in sin. He calls us to be carefree, but not careless. Carefree, but not careless. So let's not continue in sin that God's grace may abound, but let's continue to push towards God. Continue to strive to do the things that Jesus would do in His likeness and His image so that we are not overwhelmed by the enemy. See, when we start dealing in sin again, we begin to walk outside the covering of God, right? Remember the haven that we talked about? That's the covering. That's the refuge. That's the safety place. We walk outside of the covering, and then the enemy can get at us, and then the storms can take us. How do we become a haven for those that are tired? How do we do that? Let's, let's go to Hebrews 4.9. I'm just going to read it quick. It says, therefore, there remains therefore a rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself who ceased from his works as God did his. We need to, to become a haven for those that are tired. We need to first experience and know God's rest. Which means that we need to walk into the haven of who Jesus is. We need to accept him and we need to hook up to his yoke and begin to pull his yoke so that we can show other people, hey, this is where it's at. This is where freedom is. This is where uh, your burdens don't take you down any longer. This is where you can find true rest in God. See, in Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You will no longer have to strive. You'll no longer have to strive. His rest is wholesome and true. Wholesome and true. How do I stay? Maybe some of you have experienced the rest of Jesus. How do I stay in the rest of Jesus? How do I stay in the rest of Jesus? Philippians 4 Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need to be in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. God needs to be the focus of our lives. He needs to be the first thing we go to when trouble comes, before trouble comes. In the morning when I get up, the very first thing that I do when I put my shoes on, the very first person that I call to in the morning, I need to go to God first. I'll be anxious for nothing. You see, he takes away anxiety when you focus on him. And all things will come after that. He will give you understanding. He will show you the light. Psalms 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is always near us. He is never as far away. If you're going through something right now and you're thinking, there is no way God can take me out of this. There is no way that God can, that can allow me to, to have any kind of freedom in this area. Because you think God is so far away from you because you're so far away from God. But I'm telling you right now, he's right next to you wherever you're at. He's right next to you in the bar. He's right next to you when you're on your computer. He's right next to you when you're, when you're gossiping about that other person. He's right next to you no matter what you're doing. He's right next to you. He never leaves. He is near to the brokenhearted, near to the crushing spirit, just waiting for you to come to him. How do we bring others into a haven? 
How do we lead them to a place like refuge? The true haven is Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12 says, Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He who said to them, here is rest. Give rest to the weary, and here is repose. But they would not listen. You're going to speak to people. And you're going to speak to people by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said stammering lips. It was speaking into the forefront of of the very first sermon that Peter gave in the power of the Holy Spirit in a foreign tongue. In the ability to to show the people of God, the, the Jews at that time or the Gentiles at that time or anybody that needed God, that the power of God and His rest was available to them. That you would speak, not by your words, but by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. He will speak through you. That is how you will lead others to the haven of God. It's not going to be by anything that you can do. It's only by the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. It's only by the power of his gospel. And when you know his gospel, when you've experienced his gospel, you can tell other people about his gospel. You can tell other people about who he is, that he gives you rest from brokenness. You can tell them. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10 says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We need to take every opportunity that we can, and we need not to grow weary. We need not to grow weary. And I'm going to give you the next verse right away. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, yet those, who fate, that yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. We need not to grow weary, but yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You say, how can I not become weary? How can I not become tired when I'm pouring out and pouring out and pouring out? I tell you that you need to stop and wait upon the Lord, and He will show up. He will lift you up with wings as eagles. One of my favorite passages. He will lift you up, raise you up. The chicklets in the eagle's nest, the eagle takes them and and holds them, and they lift them up, and they fly because they can't fly on their own. God's going to let you fly on His back, not your own, because you'll tumble and fall to the ground. And you know what's really cool, what an eagle does, is they take them up high into the sky, high into the sky, and they dump them. And they say, you got thousands of feet to figure out how to fly. But that's what they do. I will lift you up on wings as eagles, and I will take you up, and I will let you soar in the heavens, and then I'm going to drop you. And because you've experienced what it's like to fly, you are going to figure out how to fly before you hit the ground. Because you know who to trust in. Because you know who to put your faith in. Because you know where the source of your flight comes from. You don't have to fall. Some of you are going through a falling state right now. Some of you are going through pain. Some of you are going through hurt. And it feels like you're falling straight out of the sky. You were soaring with God at one point and He dropped you. It felt like He dropped you. And it's time to figure out how to fly. I can think of no better reflection of how to fly than to rest in who Jesus Christ is. To rest in what he has done for you. 
to rest in his redemptive power, that he went to the grave, that he died for your sins on the cross, and that he calls you home. He says, come to me. Behold, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He knows you need rest this morning. He knows your burden. He knows that you're overwhelmed. He's calling you this morning. And even as he's calling you, and maybe you've never responded to God before and you don't know what that looks like, in a few moments I'm going to take us through what that looks like. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to begin to fly. Maybe some of you being in church this morning is like the eagle taking you out of the nest and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Maybe this storm pushed you out of your house into a place of refuge, into a haven where rest is found. Maybe some of you need some refreshing this morning. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Times of refreshing. God is going to give you some refreshing. Repent and return. Repent and return. Turn from your sins. Return to God. And He will refresh your hearts. The way we come to Jesus is through nothing more than a declaration of who He is in our hearts. Than a belief in Him. Romans talks about that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. So I just want to ask you today, just everybody close their eyes. I want to ask you today, if you have not ever done that, we're going to say a prayer and everybody's going to say it along with you. And we're going to confess with our mouth. And I need you just to believe and begin to spread your wings and fly this morning in your heart that the rest of Jesus is enough to keep you from hitting the ground. He's enough. Before we pray, there are a lot of you out here today that have burdens. And you're trying to carry them. You're trying to do it on your own. God wants you to bring those burdens to Him. And in a few moments, I'm going to even ask you after we pray to physically lay your burdens here at the altar. Whether that means coming up here and praising like you've never praised before, or maybe even literally just laying it out before God and speaking it to the altar. And allowing that weight to come off of you and give it to Jesus and then take up the power of God and allow Him to move in your hearts. Maybe you're in both states today. I ask that you would just be open to His power and His might. I'm going to begin a prayer and just repeat after me as we confess who Jesus is so that He may enter your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe that you are where my rest resides. And I ask you to come into my heart, 
to spread my wings and help me to fly. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. And I believe in your resurrected power and your wholeness and your truth. Mold and shape me now and make me anew in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Hallelujah. You guys can go ahead and rise to your feet. And I just want to maintain the thought process of these burdens. And as we enter into worship, even if you come forward with your hands like this, holding your burden, and if you just wanted to lay it down on the altar and begin to lift your hands in praise and freedom, I just call you this morning to lay it all out before Jesus and fly. Let's worship the Lord. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.